You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Margaret Burkholt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Margaret, a very serious topic we're going to be discussing, um, and that is sex and human trafficking. And yeah. it's a stance that you've taken, and it's a cause that you've taken on um, based on the fact that you're taking part in this this pageant called Miss Grace Beauty Pageant. So before we get to the sex and human trafficking aspect of it, tell me a little bit more about Miss Grace Beauty Pageant. So Miss Grace Beauty Pageant is an amazing initiative. I think it's pretty revolutionary because it's not your run-of-the-mill beauty pageant where we have set standards in terms of outer beauty. Um, also, the ages of entrance can be, twe- can be between 18 and 35. I'm 34. So when I saw this on Expresso Breakfast Show and what they stood for, and that is that everybody deserves a second chance. And also, having been afforded grace, you have to take that grace further and actually help other people. So I love the fact that with the money that we are raising through our pageants, and especially through our gala evening, which is happening on the 16th of December this year in Cape Town, with that money we're going to be building a safe house in Cape Town for abused women and children women that were rescued from human and sex trafficking. And so this really resonated with me. And that's why I felt that I need to be a part of this initiative, not only for myself, but but also to extend grace to other people and help other people because I have a son that's five years old and I would like him to live in, in a great South Africa. Now, this pageant has, has grown from strength to strength in a very short period of time. Mm. We hear about a lot of different pageants. We had the Miss Justice pageant and Mr. Justice pageant um, as guests on our show, and they focus primarily on people within the South African jurisprudence, the legal fraternity, and it was to boost the image of the legal fraternity, etc. But this particular pageant, you were talking to me off air earlier, it seems to have, have really grown in stature, even although it's a new pageant. Tell me more about that. Um, I, I can't exactly speak about all the logistics involved as to why it resonated with so many people, but many, many influential people have wanted to become a part of this pageant, and I believe it's what it stands for and also the people that are already involved. For instance, um, just yesterday we had an amazing event at Ikaya Latemba House, and this is a safe house in Johannesburg. And we had support from phenomenal people like Sally Nene, which is a counselor in Germiston for the DA. So I believe just the fact that we have many politicians and people with clout that are already on board and they see that our organisers are really organised and also our founder, Shannon Webb, which was uh, a Mrs. South Africa finalist, uh, excuse me, contestant. I believe this all lends clout to our organization and to the pageant and what it stands for. We we support any organization that wants to help those that are downtrodden. Um, we find it bizarre that we have X amount of days of activism towards <laughs> women and children in South yes. Africa when every single day should be activism against um, violence um, perpetrated against women and children. Tell me about your experience. Why does this resonate so closely with you in particular? I'm going to try to not be too verbose. <laughs> I do understand we have a time limit. But uh, to be short and sweet, I studied after school. I worked in America for a Jewish family, actually, as an au pair 
amazing experience. I came back. I studied journalism for many reasons, um, abusive childhood, etc. I didn't finish journalism, and I felt that I didn't have a support system, and I became a stripper at the age of 20. After that, I left. I was in and out teasers and strip strip clubs, and that that was my reality for 13 years on and off. I studied uh, drama. I was invited to New York Film Academy, and I've done quite a bit of acting. But last year, I found myself I found myself in a horrible position um, for many reasons, which I could elaborate on at a later time. But I was in a sex trafficking situation in Pretoria. And this is my hometown, and it literally happened in Equestria. My son was staying with my parents for a short period of time because I was trying to get out of this cyclical nature of going back to strip clubs. And I met the wrong people, and I also didn't pay my rent for a month, two months. The sex industry had gone down, so I I really just didn't have money. I also started studying law this year, so many expenses, etc. And I contacted somebody. I got a number off a website. I contacted a so-called venue in Equestria. And they said, come through with all your, with all your furniture, etc. When I call it sex trafficking, it's because this person lured me there under the false pretense of only doing erotic massages in the nude. And when I got there, it was something totally different. And when I wanted to leave, they didn't want to let me go. They kept all my furniture. So it's not a case of that sex trafficking is always related to drugs necessarily. Or um, in my case, they literally just kept everything that I owned, including my son's first pair of shoes, sentimental things as well. And because the people were... uh, really connected in ways that I felt was dangerous to myself, I didn't go to the police. I went to a well-known establishment in Pretoria, and um, the manager helped me to get my stuff back. And so that, that sounds quite dubious, and it is. And since then, I've broken free, and this is what I'm part of now. I'm focusing on my law and focusing on on bringing an end to sex trafficking in particular in South Africa. I think there's a lot of confusion relating to sex trafficking, human trafficking, and the, and the description thereof. Because mm. when one looks at the Thai girls, the Russian girls, the Ukraine yeah. girls that were brought to South Africa, they were also exploited. They had their passports held back. Yeah. And where some of them came quite knowingly that they would be stripping, etc., it landed up that, they were, that more was expected of them. They had to bring in a certain amount of money. Yeah. They had to make sure that the punters spent X amount at the bars. If not, they were penalized. And because their passports were being held to ransom, that in itself means that they were being exploited. They were being used, not to mention the fact that a lot of these girls had to pay um, a fee, not just in respect of their, of, their, of their travel ticket, but in respect of the fact that they were sold to somebody in South Africa. They had to then pay back that fee for which they were sold and they could only make money thereafter. So yeah. when you tell me about this from a localized level, yeah. it makes one realize that the exploitation of sex workers in South Africa um, 
is is not limited to foreigners. Anybody can fall into this trap. Absolutely. So sex trafficking uh, is human trafficking for the purposes of sexual exploitation, including sexual slavery, and it has obviously two aspects, which is supply and demand. However, it occurs when somebody uses force, fraud, or coercion. And um, I, it, it's it's such it's such a difficult thing to explain. And it's it's a really um, multifaceted subject to talk about, and I do not believe that one tackles it from the from the point of the panther, because I do not believe uh, I believe that will only create a black market by policing it more. You will just uh, exacerb- exacerbate this problem; it will become bigger. So personally, I feel that. We should focus more on women, women that feel vulnerable, children that feel vulnerable, that feel that they're not getting support from where they grow up, their parents or the community. And when people feel like they belong and they loved, I feel they would be less likely to meet certain people and to fall into certain so-called traps. So I believe it starts with us reaching out to women. You're listening to Confidential Brief. I'm in conversation with Margaret Burkholtz, and we're chatting about the realities of sex and human trafficking in South Africa. You're listening to Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas. Yeah, we've been talking about the the horrors and the reality of sex trafficking in South Africa with Margaret Burkholtz, and she's taken this as her stance in a pageant known as the Miss Grace Beauty Pageant, which has its gala evening in December on the 16th. Well, we're already in December. Can you believe it? On the 16th down in Cape Town. And funding from the uh, funds that are raised um, from this cause are going to build a, a safe house for women and children. Is it necessary for there to be more safe houses in South Africa, Margaret? This is something I spoke about yesterday when we were at Ikaya Latemba Safe House. I believe there's mismanagement when it comes to safe houses. I was in an abusive relationship and I was in a safe house in Middleburg and it was shocking to see that when the police drop you off, you literally have to fend for yourself. You pay for your own food, etc. So not only is it the bare minimum, which I, I personally think it's less than than prisoners have when you look at pictures. But you have to somehow now get money to buy your own food for many of the safe houses. So that also leads to a gap where women feel, well, how should I get the money, etc., etc. So I believe, yes, I'm happy that Miss Grace wants to build a safe house and hopefully this one will lead the way um, in terms of what should be done with funds and how it should be allocated and spent and that there should be accountability. But I believe many safe houses in South Africa, um, I don't know, are mismanaged. That's my point of view. Did you, apart from this one instance where you landed up in that house, was your was your child ever with you? No, my child, thank God he wasn't. I, I called my parents to... To come fetch him. How do find? How do people find themselves ensnared in this world? Um, is it what everybody thinks that it's? They start off just innocently wanting to pay off debts. They start working the pole. They strippers, and then they find themselves in, involved in a world of drugs, and they can't escape. Do drugs play a large role? Um, yes, I think drugs do play a role, and but I, I, I believe people enter the industry for different reasons. 
I entered the industry because I just wanted to make easy money to pay my studies at that point. Literally the age old Hollywood movie <laughs> reality. So that's how I started. But I do believe, um, you get ensnared because you have, you feel like you're part of a community. And when you try to leave, there's so much judgment, um, in terms of you've been doing this now for two or three years. You have nothing to put on your CV. So you don't get a job. Your family can't or won't support you. And you feel like, well, I had a sense of community with these people. I'm not getting a job quick enough or um, I've already incurred this much debt and I need to maintain a certain lifestyle. And so then many people do go back. And it, and I don't think it, it – I, I truly think – it's less than 50% of people that go back because of drugs. I think it's just a lack of a support system. If you want to join the conversation, you can WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. That WhatsApp number for the studio again is 061-895-1019. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can tweet us at FM. Margaret, what was the turning point for you? Because listening to your story, there must have been several Incidents that made you want to leave the industry, mm. yet you stayed for a number of years. Mm. Give us an example of some of the incidents that occur with the girls, and then tell us what happened to make you decide enough is enough. You, um, speaking about the different incidents, there are so, so many. Um, there was a girl years ago that was abducted and killed because... She heard the wrong conversation uh, that two punters were having and they literally kidnapped her and she was found five months later. So there are many different things that happen on a daily basis. And, and this wasn't – she was doing a lap dance and he's talking with his friends. So it's not like she was – She didn't set out to get murdered um, or to listen to Not at all, not at all. But uh, my turning point personally was that I – I, I was agnostic my entire life, and I found Jesus on the 18th of April this year. And, yeah, that was my turning point, to be truthful. I, I have a child that has been my turning point in trying to change, but because I've been part of this for so long, it's difficult to get work, even though I had an 86% average at TUT for drama. I, I, I had a bursary at TUT, so I did really well, and... But but people want to know what have you been doing for the past few years, and it's difficult to get work. So it's it's not that my child didn't change my reality. I, I have to pay and have money. So I think the thing that really uh, made me leave the industry, and at the moment I'm without a job. I do have a boyfriend that looks after me, which is amazing. But I think the fact that we're living from hand to mouth at the moment, I'm okay with that because I believe God is going to prosper me. Well, I appreciate the fact that religion is one of the support mechanisms you found. But what other support mechanisms do the girls out there or the guys that are being trafficked need? Um, because like you say, there is a lot of um, – 
people look at at the industry with disdain. Mm. And there's a lot of people that don't want to help these people because they believe these people got into the situation mm. by themselves and they must now resolve the issue by themselves. What would you say to a family out there whose daughter is trapped in the world of either prostitution or sex trafficking mm. or stripping, who at the at the outset did volunteer to do it, but perhaps the family doesn't realize what's now happened? I do understand that, and I understand how um, how families become disappointed. I think the easiest way for me to understand this, if I had to put myself in the shoes of my parents or other parents, irrespective, irrespective of the fact that abuse occurred as a child or whatever, I believe moving forward, this is the easiest way to resolve it. Everybody needs to see themselves the way they saw themselves when they were five years old. If you, if you can see yourself as a child and you see everybody around you as a child, you realize that there are truly only two emotions, and that is fear and love. And when you come to that realization, it's, it's much easier to forgive somebody. And I think then the kind of support systems people need – um, it's so redundant saying government. I don't, I, I don't want to say that because we invited so many politicians and, and I'm politically aware. I love watching news and I would love for government to be involved. So, but I truly be- believe it doesn't start with government. I think it believe it starts with families, them forgiving, perhaps going to counseling. And then it also, uh, goes further to to people having the right kind of support systems and friends. Margaret, in closing, is there any social media sites or websites that our, our uh, listeners can visit that will tell them more about this pageant and perhaps what the, the, the different standpoints are relating to this topic that you've taken a stance on? Absolutely. So you can go to www.missgracesa.com. I thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I didn't realize it was going to be quite so emotive. Um, And for you to open up like that, I'm hoping encourages other people to open up. Thank you very much for this opportunity, and I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Margaret.